Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I know you got a big race coming up for Senate. How's that coming along? It's, you know, it's a little bit different. As your audience may know, I ran for governor of Arizona, and the media was so biased against Trump. They, they spent eight years running a smear campaign against President Trump because he was an outsider who wanted to do good things for the American people. Right. And that threatened their entire system. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Very special guest today. No intro needed. Carrie Lake's here. How's it going? It's going great. It's great to be here. I'm totally impressed with your setup mm -hmm. and your success. It's, it's just so incredible. Thanks so much. I know you got a big race coming up for Senate. How's that coming along? It's, you know, it's a little bit different. As your audience may know, I ran for governor of Arizona and we had an incredible, you know, grassroots movement, 525 days barnstorming across Arizona, mm -hmm. a state that I, I've lived in for, for decades and I love. Yeah. And this is a federal race, and so it's a little bit different. Obviously, Arizona cares greatly and deeply about who the representation is in Washington, D.C., but the whole country cares about this race because we have a chance to pick up a U.S. Senate seat, take it out of the hands of people who have helped drive our country into the ground mm -hmm. and bring it over to an America First candidate who's going to put the, the needs of the people first, uh, our country first, make sure we have a secure border, we're not you know, fast walking our way into World War III. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, of uh, interest across the country in this race. So in a way, it's almost almost like a national race. Yeah. And, which is why I'm here in Las Vegas. We're doing a, an event tonight and a fundraiser. And nice. um, it's going to be an expensive race. But we are so excited because we're going to pick up a Senate seat and help get some really common sense, good policy passed in Washington to yeah. turn things around because we're not heading in the right direction. Yeah. So when you say expensive, you really need a lot of money to play in this space. Yeah. I, I just heard a, about a month ago that it's going to be a $300 million race. That means Whoa. outside groups are going to be pouring money in. And then I heard this week, it's going to be more than that, maybe Jeez. upwards of $400 million. Now that's not what I have to raise, thank God. I mean, we right. have to raise enough to run a campaign. And we did that in the governor's race on really a shoestring budget. Mm. We were running against a billionaire at one point who mm -hmm. had an endless amount of money. But what we had was people power. Right. We had the people behind us. And that is worth, you know, worth its weight in gold. Yeah. So we just have to raise millions, not billions, but still, it's a yeah. lot. And, and we're not, you know, the kind of people that are getting these big, dark, super uh, PACs, donating dark money super PACs, right. we really are reaching out to individuals saying, this is an investment in the country to get this seat in the hands of a Republican who's going to do the right thing for the people. Yeah, because there's a lot of politicians that take money from weird sources <clears throat> and it's yeah. kind of like they're paid off almost, right? They've got people kind of funding them. Yeah. And, and what was so amazing about our governor's race, I, I might be off a little bit on the numbers here. We had a roughly 200 and I think 50 or 270,000 individual donors. Mm -hmm. That is massive. That's and, and the average donation was 76 bucks. Wow. Now, conversely, 
um, Blake Masters was running for Senate. I think he had 41 or 45,000 individual donors. Mm. We had 250. He wow. had 41. That's a lot of interest. That shows that you have a movement. Yeah. And so we have that now, um, and, and we're, we're thrilled anybody who wants to get behind us and, and donate and be a part of this campaign can go to carrylake.com. Yeah, you're really good at building movement because even when you were running for governor, I heard about it in Vegas. And I feel like I don't really hear about other states. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think makes your, your movement so powerful, so impactful? Well, a couple things. One, I was really fortunate. I was able to be an honest journalist for 27 years covering Arizona. So the people of Arizona knew me, not just knew me. I was in their homes for upwards of three hours a day. Right. It, it was a friendship, really. If you think about it, if you're going to tune in to somebody all these years and you know, every night we're number one. I, I, I came into Arizona, brought the station to number one. Wow. And it's a, a level of trust. If you're bringing somebody in, turning them on every night and bringing them into your home. I mean, we just have a relation. I like to joke we had an intimate relationship <laughs> because people would tell me all the time, my husband and I were in bed watching you last night. And I go, well, that <laughs> means we have an intimate relationship, I guess. But yeah. um, So I took that relationship. The people actually asked me to run for office when I left my career because I got disgusted that the news had become propaganda. Mm. And the people reached out when I walked away from my job and said, would you please consider running for office? We need somebody who we trust, mm -hmm. who understands the issues that Arizona is facing. Of course, I'd covered them for nearly 30 years, who is going to go and do the do right by us. And so I think that's how that movement started, with the people asking me to run, and then we just made our entire campaign about the people of Arizona. Just like President Trump was America first, we took those same policies and brought them state to a state level, and it was an Arizona first movement. And I yeah. think people re recognize that. I just want to make Arizona the greatest state in the country. Absolutely. And what compelled you to leave mainstream media? You were there your whole career, right? 27 years? 30 years, in, but 27 in Arizona. Right. And I worked really hard to um, go into this dream career and to, to work to create this dream career. I came from a family of nine in Iowa. We had very little. Uh, put myself through college and decided about halfway through college that I wanted to be a reporter. I, I discovered that that was kind of a cool job where you mm -hmm. get to go and talk to people, kind of like what you're doing, yeah. talk to people, learn more about them. I've always enjoyed hearing people's success stories or their um, perseverance type stories mm -hmm. and learn how they got from point A to point B and how they kind of developed. And so um, I thought reporting was a great way to do that. I enjoyed yeah. journalism, telling both sides of the story. Sometimes there's three sides. Hmm. You leave your opinion out of it. But somewhere along the way, it changed. And it became very opinion-based. Hmm. And obviously, it leaned to the left, which was fine. I could always pull things back to the right and, and try to make them a little more balanced. But right. during COVID, I realized that there was no way to... Um, get the truth out. There was no interest in talking about anything other than this push toward totalitarianism. There was a push to making sure that people were afraid, isolated, feared one another, um, and, and just divided as a country. And I realized that that was coming from the media. Wow. And once I had that like really stark realization, it was almost like I'd worked my whole life and it, I pulled my nose off the grindstone and I went, oh, what has happened to this career of mine that I love so much? It's not the same. It's not journalism. It's purely propaganda. Yeah. And when that realization hit, it was really hard because I thought to myself, there's only one, there's only one way out of this since I have to leave my career that I love so much. There's no way I can fix it from the inside. 
it's too broken. Right. And so I made the decision to walk away. I was I was making a, I was in the middle of a seven figure uh, seven figure contract. Wow. You that was hard to walk away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to be honest, that was the thing that was kind of keeping me. The money. It's like golden handcuffs, right? Yeah. And I really, really got, uh, my relationship with God grew during, but I think for a lot of people that happened. Yeah. And I just was praying really hard one day and I said, I'm, I know I need to leave. This job isn't just biased and this job isn't just um, in propaganda. It's becoming immoral. Mm -hmm. And if I stay in it, that means I'm immoral. And so I remember I was praying. I was at my desk one day and I was praying and I was just like, God, I hope I don't regret walking away from the money. Mm. Because I'll be honest, that was a hang up. <laughs> to walk in during COVID where the economy was shaky, to walk away from that into the great unknown was really scary. And I just said, God, give me a sign that I'm doing the right thing and I'm not going to regret this. And at that moment, I grabbed the Bible off my desk where mm. I was sitting at home and I just opened it up to a random chapter like plopped it open and dropped my finger down. And it was first Timothy chapter six, verse seven, you bring nothing into this world and it is for certain you take nothing out. Wow. And that I still, every time I tell that story, I get chills. Yeah. That was God speaking to me and saying, you are not making the wrong decision. You That's need a to sign leave. for sure. And I was starting to feel just physically ill doing the job as well. I was mm. like, all, all these signs that God gives you when you're not on the right path, it doesn't feel right. You keep doing it. Then you start feeling sick. You keep doing it. You get aches and pains. You keep going. And finally, it was like God was shaking me, going, "You have to leave this." And mm -hmm. I now I see why. I really believe He had bigger plans for me. And I think that He had given me an amazing life, given me great skills, um, great experiences, and wanted me to get into politics. Yeah, I think I you believe that. Yeah, I think you and Trump were speaking out against the media. Like you two were the earliest people. To sort of called him out, right? Well, when he started calling it fake news, at first I kind of laughed. I'm like, well, I think there's probably some people who are making up stories, and I'm sure there's some of that, but I didn't see it. Mm. I was in it, and I didn't see it. I knew there were always people who were going to be dishonest or unethical. That's in many, many professions. Right. But as his presidency continued along, now I had gone and interviewed Obama at the White House as a journalist, Wow. which is always an honor to go to the White House, interview a sitting president. Yeah. And then a year later, I found myself at the White House again. President Trump was there. And I was in the press pool with the White House, uh, the Obama White House, and the Trump White House, some of the same people sitting in that room. Mm -hmm. And the difference between how they treated these administrations with the Obama, the reporters treating Obama like he was, you know, a god. <laughs> they never asked any tough questions. They were like lapdogs. Anything the administration said, they just gobbled it up and, and spit it out in a positive way. Right. Then the Trump administration gets in there, and it was like a bunch of pit bull attack dogs. The media was so biased against Trump. They, they spent eight years running a smear campaign against President Trump because he was an outsider who wanted to do good things for the American people. Right. And that threatened their entire system. The corrupt government and their mouthpieces in the fake news media Trump threatened that entire system. So they said immediately, we're going to go and attack this guy relentlessly. They lied about him. They lied about Russiagate. They lied about his children. Mm -hmm. They lied literally. And I, that's when I really started seeing it. I went, oh my gosh, they are trying to tear this guy down, turn the public on him because they cannot afford for him to be successful. If he's successful, 
their whole stinking corrupt system comes down. Yeah. And that's why I believe they had to unleash it and they had to stop him and they had to change the election rules, unconstitutional, by the way, mm-hmm. and and make sure that in 2020 he did not win to keep him out. Yeah, and now look like, what they're trying to do to keep him out. Yeah, they're going to have to do even more this time, I think. Yeah. Because people have gotten smarter. Um, I don't think it'll be as easy this time around. They've gotten smarter. I think people are realizing much more clearly that the news does lie, that they do have an agenda, and it's not the agenda um, that's in the best interest for the American people, that they will make up a narrative and push that. I mean, you can see it right now. It's like in lockstep, they're turning on Biden. Yeah. It's like the Democrats, the leftists in the media have decided, okay, they're done with Biden. They're starting to turn on him. And it, it, whenever you see all of the media reacting like that in one way, ask questions and go, why? What's really going on behind this? Because when, when the media all acts in unison, that is uh, a sign that they're trying to change the narrative. And it's usually always false narratives. Are yeah. Good. Is it true? I've seen this online that five companies own a majority of the media outlets. Yes. It's five or six corporations. Wow. And, you know, and, and the problem with that is... Um, I think you guys in your generation have, have a saying, tip, tip your sponsor or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard something like that. Yeah. I'm sure I'm making your generation cringe right now. <laughs> You've got the sponsors. Who's paying for the commercials? Who's paying to keep the lights on? Mm-hmm. Big Pharma, the military industrial complex. Look at the corporations, the big corporations. Who's buying the ads? Mm-hmm. And that's who controls the outlet. And this is why I love what you're doing, um, the independent journalists that are cropping up. I mean, I have more faith in you and what you're doing than I do with Anderson Cooper, uh, Don Lemon, whoever you name at the top, MSNBC, uh, Joe Scarborough, Mika. I have more faith in what you're doing, your honesty, your integrity, and all of them rolled up into one because you are independent. You know, you're not controlled, I'm assuming, by a bunch of your sponsors. No, I don't even take most of the sponsors, honestly. Yeah, and, and that's where we need to be as journalists. We've got to, I think it's best when, you know, subscribers pay because then you're not, you know, for example, in, in local news, let's say you have car dealers. Car dealers are usually a pretty big advertiser, right? Yeah. And let's say you've got a car dealer who's spending $15 million a year buying ads. Then you find out that that owner of that dealership was involved in some really shady business dealings and, um, or did something criminal. Mm-hmm. Now, they're probably going to cover the story, but they might just cover it in a short little 30-second clip to say that they covered it because they've got to, they don't want to look like they're that, you know, they've lost their scruples totally. They'll give it a tiny little bit of coverage, and it'll go away, and they will barely cover it anymore because the guy spends too much money at the station. Right. Conversely, Joe Blow out on the street, if he's uh, convicted or accused of the same crime, that might get nonstop coverage. It might make every single newscast that day, every single newscast the next day, every single uh, nuance in that story will be covered. Mm. But if it's a salacious story involving one of their big advertisers, they're just going to cover it less and give it less attention. And that's not fair coverage. They yeah. do the same thing with Big Pharma. We saw how they treated vaccines. It was almost as if I saw it. At that point, I'd walked away from my, my career, but I was still keep ma- making notes of how they were behaving. And it was almost as if in sync overnight, the news anchors on all the big um, you know, networks started talking about the vaccine, how they had to get it. Oh, I got my vaccine. And some of them even put it on yeah. their social media and they had their sleeve rolled up and they had their <laughs> little button. I got my vax today. And yeah. And you saw it in lockstep the whole, and it was right when 
the big pharma companies were just starting their big advertising push. They're spending tens of millions of dollars advertising at for least, all of these. Yeah. At least, maybe hundreds of millions. Probably. Their margins were amazing on the yeah. vaccine. And and they get the stations are going to cover it and cover it positively. Yeah. It's disgusting. So That's what, not what journalism is. Yeah. Were you still in media when they were pushing that agenda or you left during that time? I was... Uh, my last newscast, and I wrote about it in my book, Unafraid, I highly recommend it, mm -hmm. written from the heart, not by a consultant. <laughs> I talk about um, my last newscast was December 25th. It was Christmas Day. I signed off on the air. At that moment in my head, I was like, I'm quitting my job. I hadn't told anybody at, at, the, at the station yet. Yeah. And then it took me a while to fully you know, remove myself from the position because legal things you have to take care of to, yeah. to do that kind of thing. Um, so the really the last day that I was with the station was March, I think it was March 1st was the day I made the public aware of that I was leaving, why I was leaving, that I could no longer um, work in a, a field that ceased doing journalism anymore because right. half-truths are really lies. Yeah. And when I put the video out, and maybe you can, if you want, you're welcome to show it, it's on my Rumble page. Yeah. It's, actually, it's the first video I ever put out on Rumble. Okay. And I learned how to upload a video that night. <laughs> it took me about two hours. <laughs> and I thought I was going to have a breakdown trying to learn how to upload a video in my 50s. But I figured it out, uploaded the video that night. My husband and I um, recorded it. I just wanted to let the people who had given me so much love, encouragement, and um, trust for nearly 30 years, I wanted them to know why I was leaving. Yeah. That I wasn't just walking away to pursue other things. I was walking away in protest of an industry that had gone completely uh, defunct. It had just gone completely rotten. And so I put this video out, and I, I look back at it now, and I think, oh my gosh, had I any idea that my life would have gotten even more, um, you know, <laughs> crazy and in, in, in a way interesting since then. I yeah. just had no idea what was ahead, but I wanted the people to know I'm leaving. I appreciate you. The news is no longer journalism. It is um, half-truths and lies, mm -hmm. and I'm not interested in doing that, and that's why I'm leaving. Yeah. Uploaded the video. Midnight was like 12.15, went to bed. I woke up the next day, and my phone was almost hot to the touch. I mean, I had like hundreds of text messages, emails. The, the Overnight, it had gone viral. Wow. Here, a, a prominent news person in the in the country walks away from a, you know, at the top of her career, number one, um, making huge money, and just walks away and says, "I can't do this anymore." Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that was going to be a big story. I guess I'm naive, yeah. But it became a huge story, and so. Um, yeah, it was big, and then when Tucker Carlson left, that was huge too. Yeah, they or, booted him. Can you oh, imagine? He got fired. Yeah. This is how afraid they are of the truth. You know, he was bringing in a fortune for the network, mm -hmm. and and they were willing to let him go. This tells you that these news outlets don't really want the truth out there. Not they at wanna, all. They yeah. want to control what the message is. If they can't control the narrative, it's too dangerous for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you talk about the importance of alternative media. I've seen you on a few podcasts. You went on uh, Pierce Morgan, and he went at you pretty hard. Um, what did you take away from that episode? Did you expect that at all, or how do you feel after that one? Um, yeah, you know, I'm always, I'm, I think I'm a pretty reasonable person and I, I'm really easy to talk to and I like to have conversations and I'm I'm happy to talk to people who disagree with me yeah. and have a discussion about it. But the media is just so like, it's always when I sit down, like they feel like they uh, they have to attack me and go after me, go after me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why? I am, I'm all about getting common sense solutions to the really serious problems we have. So I never understand uh, other than, 
they see they view me like they view President Trump. Right. Wow, somebody who if we they want to get rid of Trump, they want to get rid of me, people who they can't control, they can't bribe, they can't blackmail, who are just truly in this for the right reason for the people. Mm. And so I think, you know, he's coming at me, you know, he's got a corporate owner and and that's who controls him. Right. And even though he acts like he's not controlled by the corporate news, that's who writes that's who signs his paycheck. Oh, I thought he was independent. He's signed by a company. Yeah. Interesting. But um, no, we've had spirited conversations. I'm hoping to go back on his show. I'm always willing to go on any of these shows. As a matter of fact, I would go on CNN. I'd go on The View. I'd go on MSNBC. I've offered myself up. I think they're afraid of me because here's why. They have they have set this false narrative about me, telling people I'm extreme, right wing, you know, everything, all the terrible things, that unhinged, whatever they say. Yeah. And then if I sit down with them, their viewers who they've been lying to, setting this false narrative about me, if I sit down with them, their viewers will go, wait a minute, she's actually very reasonable. We like what she's saying. <laughs> That's not what you've been telling us about her. Yeah. You've been lying. And so they can't afford to have me on because they can't get me with their BS bogus questions. They can't corner me. I know yeah. how they operate because I worked in the business for 30 years. So they can't, they don't know how to come at me. And therefore, I'm too dangerous because there's always the threat that I might go after them. Mm. So I'm, I'm open, by the way. I mean, this, this brave young man, Sean, is willing <laughs> to have a conversation with me. But Morning Mika won't. They're afraid of me. Minute they get me on that show, all of their viewers are going to realize what liars they are. Mm -hmm. CNN doesn't want to have me on because the last time they had me on, I made them look like stooges <laughs> just by being reasonable, right? Yeah. And they never want to talk about the policy. They always want to try to go after some crazy angle. Yeah. I look back at my childhood days, especially teenage years, and I used to listen to the news every day in New Jersey where I grew up. And I, I felt pretty, pretty controlled from it, honestly. Mm -hmm. I grew up heavy left. And looking back at it, a lot of that was influenced by the media. It's kind of it's kind of interesting when you finally realize it, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. My, a big chunk of my life, too. And y do you feel a little bit angry about it? Yeah, but or I try just, not. I try not to, you know, dwell about it. Yeah. But it's definitely like, wow, that happened, and I need to do better with my kids. Yeah, maybe not anger. Anger might be the wrong word, but just kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they got me. They I got used to my think mind. Republicans were the worst thing. In they Jersey. captured your mind. Yeah. And now, where do you stand? Now I try not to label myself, but I'm open. Like you said, I'll have on. I had on Marianne Williamson a few months ago. I'll have on all sorts of people, and That's I'm kind of like Patrick Bet David, where I'll okay. get everyone's perspective. I really like his show. He does a great job. I like his panel. And you know, I believe that if you're going to run for office, you really should be willing to sit down for an interview like this. I mean, I went on um, Tim Cast. I went on Patrick Bet Davis. I've gone on a lot of interviews, and and I never tell them what to ask me. Mm. I, I mean, I I went on Tim Cast, and I'll never forget it. I was it three hours, two. Okay, um, you know, we drive out there. You drive out there at like nine or 10 at night, way out into the boonies. <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, okay, Blair Witch Project here. What's going to come out of the woods? Yeah. You go to this house in the woods, you go up like three flights of stairs into the studio, and then they flip on the microphones and you start. Wow. And you don't know what is coming at you. It's live too, and right? And I believe that every person running for office should do something like that. Mm. And uh, completely, it's out of their control. And can they handle it? Mm -hmm. Can they hold their own? Can they have tough questions that I didn't know? I really didn't know if they were going to, uh, you know, ask questions that were, uh, you know, very much meant to kind of 
trick me or where they stood politically. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I got through it. It was fun. It was interesting. And I think it's a great way of finding out who the person really is. Absolutely. It's one you, thing in a 10-minute interview. Yeah. You can fool somebody in that. Yeah. When you're live on the spot, it's it's a lot different. I'm not sure if Biden's ever done that. <laughs> Um, probably not. And I'm not sure that he would even get viewers. He's just so, <laughs> he's not quite there. That, yeah. That's a nice way of putting he's it. He's out of his prime years for sure. He's out of his prime. Um, I don't know. I think his, his policy, I don't, I'm not sure he's very smart. Mm. His policies are a complete disaster. Um, and, and I find that when he is not cornered, but when he is, they push back against him, he kind of gets angry. Mm. Like, I want to take you outside and punch you, buddy, or something like that. that. Yeah, because he's had a couple of people show up at his rallies, the, the rare times he does have them, and there's some, some negativity, and he looks angered, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he gets angered. Yeah, so with the upcoming election, do you think he's going to win again? Well, it's, he seems to be the one that they're pushing right now. However, I have noticed that a lot of the media is kind of um, in lockstep, starting to push back against him and saying maybe it's time for him to bow out and somebody else to jump in. Mm. It's getting pretty late, though. I mean, it's going to get to a point where it's too late to get on the ballot in some of these yeah. states. So I don't know what they have up their sleeve. I'm sure there are a bunch of other Democrats salivating to jump in. If he were to leave, then Kamala Harris would become president. And um, I don't believe that the Democrats feel confident in her. Mm. And I, I know for a fact Americans don't feel confident in her abilities. So she may actually be the insurance um, plan for Joe Biden. I mean, people are as, as, as bad as his poll numbers are right now and as little confidence as Americans have in Joe Biden, mm -hmm. they have even less confidence in his vice president. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen there. But I, what I will tell you, it doesn't matter who the Democrat is. It could be a shiny new object. It yeah. could be a, uh, you know, a, a much younger Democrat. What I think America's learning, what I believe America's learning is that doesn't matter who the Democrat candidate is, doesn't matter who the Democrat politician is, their policies are dead end and destructive for America. Their mm. policies are destructive for individuals. Their yeah. policies are destructive for families, and they've led to uh, a collapsed economy. Mm -hmm. They've led to a wide open border. National security, uh, we're having some real risks national when it comes to national security because of their policies. Wow. I mean, think about it. On day one, what are the first things that Joe Biden did? He pulled back President Trump's border policy. Right. I'm living in a border state. I covered the border state, and I covered that border for 27 years. Mm -hmm. It had never been more secure than under President Trump. Mm. And on day one, Joe Biden pulled that policy back. And with a wink and a nod, he told the world, come on in, just come on across our border, in so many words, and watched as the cartels took control of our border. We watched as millions of people have come in unvetted. Many of them are criminals. Many of them have criminal backgrounds or come from nations that are hotbeds for terrorism. Mm. That's what's coming into our country right now. At the same time, President Trump was the first uh, president to come up with a energy policy which had us energy independent. I'm 54, and mm -hmm. the first time in my life America was energy independent. We'd always been lied to by the Democrats with a scarce, there's, there's scarce resources. We can't drill. We're going to run out of fossil fuels. We're going to run out of oil. Yeah. That's baloney. That's really? not true. We've oh, got wow. an endless supply. That's underneath. what I was taught growing up. We, you were taught that. Yeah. And we've never done, I, I recommend, um, I think it's called Game Change, Game Changer. Can you look that up, Colton, for me? It's by Harold Hamm. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's an incredible book about energy and American energy and what we have below our feet and and why we we are not we don't have scarcity when it comes to fossil fuels. Is a game changer, game changer. I highly recommend for you. Mm. Should actually get him on, on. So we have enough oil in this country to be oil and natural gas. But what what he did on day one is shut down the construction of the Keystone Pipeline, mm. and and really. Uh, stopped President Trump's incredible energy policy, which had us energy independent. We didn't need to rely on the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And immediately we've had to now rely on the Middle East. It's dangerous for America, for our national security, to have to rely on Middle Eastern country uh, countries for our energy. Wow. And when he did that, immediately the price of everything went up because yeah. gas prices shot up. I had to get a Tesla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was too well, high. He's pushing for that. Yeah. <laughs> but everything you had, the sweatshirt you're wearing, it came from somewhere and it had to be on a truck and it had to make it to your store wherever you bought that. Yeah. Price of everything started going up. Also, we lost literally tens of thousands of high-paying energy jobs. Mm. The energy sector has some of the most high-paying jobs. And when those jobs go away, let's say you're making 100000 you're paying into taxes. As much as I hate taxes, all of those workers were paying taxes, which is revenue for the, for the government to run. And those jobs went away. That tax revenue went away. Mm -hmm. And he is just so happy to ship these jobs overseas. Yeah. When we are reliant now on Middle Eastern oil or uh, energy or any uh, natural resources, and then we ship it off to China or whatever country we ship it off to, then they get the high paying jobs. And we're left with jobless Americans. We've completely are uh, now reliant on other countries who don't even care about us, and many of them don't like us. Mm. And it's just another way of, of, of hurting America, hurting our economy, and hurting our people. Yeah. We need to bring the jobs back. We need to bring manufacturing back. We were strong when we had manufacturing. And these crooked political elite politicians shipped off our manufacturing shipped our jobs overseas, left moms and dads without jobs, and that has actually played into the decimation of the American family and the nuclear oh, family. That's terrible. And I don't know if you were raised in a, in a family with mom and dad, but you just have a better upbringing. You have more solid upbringing when you have mom and dad in the For house. For sure. Yeah, they've done studies on it at this point. Absolutely. And yeah, dads are so important. Yeah. And, and shipping off jobs overseas and leaving dad without the job, he had a high-paying job and maybe a factory, doing great, all of a sudden, dad doesn't have a job. Dad might get depressed or he gets another job that makes half of what he did. Mm -hmm. And that starts to chip away at the American family as well. Because when you got dad out of work, it hurts. And sometimes I think it led to more divorces and dads being out of the house. And then the Democrat policy of uh, get people on welfare. Mm -hmm. Lost your job, now you need to be on welfare. And then they changed it up where it's like, you'll get more on welfare if dad's not in the house and you're not married. I mean, every policy the Democrats have hoisted on us has been has meant the destruction of the American family and the destruction of this country. It's awful, and super scary, honestly, to yeah. raise, to raise a family in this climate. It's very scary. And unfortunately for your generation, um, you know, they've made people think that. Being, do you have kids? Not yet, but I want kids. It's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. They made your generation. Not everybody feel that being a parent is a burden, and that being a mother or father is just a nuisance, and you should just, uh, you know. Not do that. Mm. So if you get pregnant, have an abortion. Right. I challenge you to ask any mother or father, any mother for sure, any mother or father in this country, do you regret having your children? Have they been a burden? Even if it was difficult, even if they had to go it alone, mm. even if they couldn't afford the child and uh, every day was a struggle, 
I challenge you to find one mother out there who will tell you, I wish I wouldn't have my children. It doesn't exist. It's the greatest joy. It is the greatest joy, the most meaningful experience in the world. It's the most beautiful experience in the world. Right. And they're teaching a generation that it's terrible. And, and they're taking that joy away from them. And I just, it, I hate that. I really hate that. I want your generation to know, you know we're meant to be, we're meant to have children. Mm-hmm. We're put here yeah. to be in relationships and have children. It's, it, it brings more joy than anything else. Think of all the things that bring you joy. It's like 10,000 fold yeah. when you have a child. Yeah, I always advocate for, you know, relationships and love. But I know what you mean. People my age, they love those one night stands, that hookup culture. Yeah. But it's not for me. Good. Yeah. And, 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 you know, relationships are, are so meaningful. That's how we grow. And um, so I, I feel like things might be changing. I'm yeah. so encouraged, like, like having this conversation with you. And I see people in our movement had so many young people because they were tortured during mm. I mean, the young, I don't, I don't know how old you were during 22 to 24. And I felt like those years were wasted because I was locked up. And that should have been the best years of your life. Exactly. Yeah. And you lost out and you have a mask. I mean, how do you even have your first kiss, go to prom, <laughs> you know, just kids are already self-conscious, young people. And then to have a mask on, it was just literally torturing our children. Yeah. And as a mother, I was really angry at the governance that led to that. And I think your generation looked at that and said, we don't want that anymore. And if we don't get involved in politics, mm-hmm. somebody else is going to chart the course for our future. And I, that's why we had so many young people in our campaign. And they would always tell me, oh, you inspire me. I look up to you. And I always, when I see a young person involved in politics, say, actually, you inspire me. Mm-hmm. I'm a middle-aged mom. I don't care what people say about me. Right. You know, <laughs> you get to a certain point and you're like, Oh, oh great. They called me a name. Big whoop. Yeah. But for a young person to jump into this fray, especially a conservative and be conservative, pushing back against the peer pressure and the name calling and being canceled on social media, that takes courage. Mm. And I am impressed um, by young people such as yourself who are willing to step into the in, into kind of the fray. Yeah, I appreciate it. Definitely takes some thick skin these days with all yep. the cyberbullying and stuff. But um you, speaking of social media, you see this all the time where people are saying the president is just a messenger, a puppet or whatever, and he's not the ones actually making the policies. He's just delivering them. Is there any truth to that? You mean with Joe Biden? Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe that in many ways. I don't think he's cognitively able to make the decisions that are needed to be made by the president. Mm. I mean, if you've seen him, I, I saw some video once. He was trying to walk to the door of the White House. He got lost and started walking across the lawn. <laughs> um, I mean, he can't find this. He, he walks up on a stage, and then he's on the stage, and he starts turning around and trying to find the steps, and he's lost, and they have to come up and grab him. Mm-hmm. I've had, um, I've visited nursing homes before, and sometimes I feel like I'm watching a scene out of a nursing home. Wow. I don't think, n- not only uh, do I think he's cognitively... Um, declining rapidly. He's incompetent. He's never been a smart guy. If you ask people in in Washington, D.C., they say he's always been one of the less intelligent senators or politicians. Mm. He's run for president many times and never, ever won. He couldn't even get out of the primaries. And all of a sudden, they want us to believe he won 81 million votes. Mm. I mean, this is just a joke. And more importantly, he's being incompetent. He is compromised. And that is what makes me as an American most concerned. When I say compromise, it means he's controlled by China, 
because we know that the CCP, the communist uh, Chinese party, has paid him off. We know that Ukraine has given him payouts. Burisma has given him payouts. Um, Mo uh, Moscow has given him payouts. Kazakhstan has given him money. Wow, they tracked sure, all this? Uh, oh, this is fact. The, wow. fake, the mainstream media is not covering it. This and, is fact. And they never caught Trump doing any of that. No, but of course they lie about Trump and they say he's compromised and all of that. We've got the receipts on Joe Biden. Wow. So that means he's beholden to these other countries. And you see it with his policies, the wide open border, the destruction of our energy sector, um, of our economy, the unsafe streets, the indoctrination of our kids, mm -hmm. uh, running us into World War III. You see all of his decisions. And when you realize, oh, he's compromised, he's being paid by many of these different countries. Right. Then you start to realize why he's doing this. He's working to destroy America, mm. destabilize us, and destroy us. He wants us to be a third world country. And I think that's exactly where we're headed if we don't jump in in this next year and fight like hell to save this country. Mm. And that means we gotta get out there. Your listeners have gotta get registered to vote. Yeah. Do some research. What you're being told by the Democrat party is just a bunch of lies, When it, whether it comes to their Green New Deal, the climate, whether it comes to um, you know being parents and getting married, I mean they, they lie about everything. Yeah, it's super hard to trust where you get information. So where do you yourself get your information for, from? Um, good question. I like I, there's a few journalists who I follow. I really like John Solomon. I like Cheryl Atkinson. Um, Just the News, Epic Times does a great job. Mm -hmm. E P O C H Times, Epic Times. Uh, it's worth paying for the subscription. You're going to get really good journalism there. And you know, a lot of a lot of podcasts are actually doing a great job. I find right. that they're willing to interview people who the mainstream media won't touch because mm -hmm. they might they might accidentally or intentionally tell the truth about. <laughs> yeah. They're willing to ask questions about elections and election integrity. They're willing to ask questions about um, you know the origins of some of these wars that seem to be starting right mm -hmm. now and what's really going on behind the scenes so that's kind of where i get my information yeah that's good to know because it's it's easy to follow the wrong source these days i also i also follow people on twitter and i think twitter is uh, more freed up to give um the truth now than it used to be thanks yeah. to elon musk so i'll follow certain people on twitter that i trust who are experts in their field mm -hmm. that's so awesome kinda... who's been your favorite president during your lifetime donald j trump I thought you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. I think he's the greatest president wow. in our country's history. Better than George I, Washington? Well, well, you know, I, I, George Washington was an exceptional. Abraham Lincoln was exceptional. But where we are right now is such a consequential time. Mm -hmm. This is do or die for America. Our, our republic either survives or falls. Wow. And I think this next election is the deciding factor, whether the republic the Constitutional Republic of the United States of America survives or falls. That's why I'm sacrificing everything I've got in this. I'm running to go to, to Washington, D.C. and bring America first policies and get our country back on track. But I think President Trump is such a consequential leader. Um, he is the one who's going to save this country. I believe his policies. I believe his demeanor. Whether you love it or you don't, we mm -hmm. need a strong alpha male who understands what is at stake, who understands the the excellence and um, what's at stake, that he's yeah. willing to fight for America, both domestically and abroad. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's, he's the most consequential uh, president we've ever had. And I believe he will go down in history as one of the most consequential leaders in all human history. Wow. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, it feels like the stakes have never been higher right now. If America falls, 
if our republic falls, I worry about the survival of the of the world. Mm. And I know when you travel abroad, people will, and the media tries to make it look like the whole world didn't like Trump. People always tell me we love Trump, no matter where I am. We loved Trump in this country. We love Trump. When are you guys going to get smart and get Trump back? <laughs> well, America is getting smart, and you know whether you like his personality or don't. I've gotten to know him. Um, I'm happy to call him friend. Nice. I'm as a mother with two children, and uh, that I'm very concerned about their future. I love him as a president because I know he truly cares only about getting America back on track. He's mm. not in this for his own. Obviously, he's never took a salary. He never took any money. Right. He lost much of his wealth because he wasn't building his company. He was yeah. helping build America back up. Yeah, he gave up all his companies, right? Well, he put him. His, I think his son Eric runs the right. companies, but you know, he was willing to put everything on the line and jump into a really slimy business, politics, because he loves his country. Yeah, Carrie, it's been an honor having you here. Anything you want to close off with or promote? Oh, just you know, I don't know what your viewership is. I'm assuming it's other young people. A lot of young people. Um, yeah. You know, do your homework and really look back at where your life was four years ago. Were you better off? And I think that everyone can say we were better off as a country. And it's really um, incumbent upon you to get involved because we have to make sure that you have a great future. And the only way you're going to have a great future is if we have a strong America. So that's what I'm about. I'm a mama bear. I'm trying to protect my kids' futures. They're 19 and 20. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're in your generation. And yeah. I will leave you with this as Bad as things seem to be, and they are right now, I believe that God put us all here at this moment for a reason. Just as our founding fathers were there at that moment, and it was only three percent of them, roughly, that decided, "Hey, let's not have to, let's not have this king, you know, across the pond tell us what we can do. We want to we want to have our own country. Mm -hmm. We want our own freedoms and rights." And God placed them there 246 years ago to create this great country. And I think he's put us here at this moment to save it. And I'm looking forward to it. I wake up every day with my, pop my feet on the ground and say, all right, God, tell me which direction to go. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to save this country. Yeah, I love your mission. I can't wait to support you and see what you do in the future. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much for coming Sean. on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for watching, guys, as always. And I'll see you tomorrow.